0: Please turn with me to Acts 18, where we'll be this morning. Acts 18, we'll be looking at the first 17 verses in Acts 18. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help with the text this morning. Our Lord Jesus, as we come before You, we need Your help with the Word. We are, at best, we struggle with it. We are tempted by other things rather than the truth because the truth is that you are god we are not you are in control we are your subjects and we do not like that truth and so we try to invent our own even when we have it right here in front of us and so lord help us convict us of that sin as we open your word as we read from it as we hear from it grow us your people Grow us as individuals in your truth. Grow us together as your church. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So I said turn to Acts 18, which that's where we will spend most of our time. But before we do that, please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, so that we can introduce our text this morning. Second Kings chapter six, lots of fun stories here. We're going to look at one in particular. Let me set the stage real quick. What's going on here in Second Kings? Syria, the, the nation of Syria and Israel are at war and they have been for some time. The Syrian king is attempting to ambush the Israelites and, and kill their king. And he wants to set up camp in order to do that. But Elisha is a prophet of the Lord. You've all heard of Elisha. And he is warning Israel ahead of time. He is in the know because, well, he's speaking directly to the one who knows all. And he warns them ahead of time. And just when Syria shows up to ambush Israel, well, Israel's not there. So instead of targeting the Israelite king, Syria changes its tactic to target Elisha as an individual and they found where he's staying and they surround him with a whole army one person a whole army and so that's where we'll begin second kings chapter six starting at verse 15 and listen here when the servant of the man of god this is elisha's servant rose early in the morning and went out behold an army with horses and chariots was all around the city And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He, Elisha, said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is the army he's now speaking to, This is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. So he led them to Samaria. He's leading them right into Israel. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword or with your bow? set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast when they had eaten and drunk, and he said and sent them on their way, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Pretty incredible story. Elisha's servant sees this army, this chariots and soldiers surrounding the city, and he's afraid, as anyone in their right mind would be, Syria isn't there to take prisoners or eat lunch with them. He's there there to kill Elisha, who's the thorn in their side. Elisha instead prays, and if you read Elisha's life, when he prays, things tend to happen. The situation is miraculously taken care of. The Syrian army is led right into Samaria as blind men and then shown mercy and they never attack again. Pretty incredible. In verse 17 of that text, Elisha's prayer, "Open his eyes that he may see when he's allowed to see the truth of the situation that there are there more actually for them than there are against him he realized quickly that the battle was not lost at all in fact victory was right at hand in our text today we're going to see a very similar situation albeit nearly a thousand years in the future the apostle paul is going to find himself in corinth a major city in the new testament times He's going to find himself up against an old enemy, though, the Jews. No matter where he goes, he finds them on purpose, actually. Though he might, it might have been easy for Paul to get down, he's given some encouragement from the Lord Jesus himself. And that helps him stay on task, continue preaching the gospel there in Corinth, which is a very important task. There are definitely times, as Christians, that in our Christian walk, we're going to wake up. We're going to look outside and we're going to feel as if the armies of Syria have surrounded our house. And they're there just for us. Definitely going to be times like that. Life is hard. Life in Christ is hard. The world around us is many times not friendly when it comes to the trials in our faith, our mission in Christ. In this passage, we're going to gain some perspective that helps us see the big picture. When we can't see the big picture, which is most of the time, God is in control. He's always there to offer us hope and calm when we are afraid. Not only that, he helps us to be strong in our faith, even when we are afraid, to continue to preach the clear gospel message even in the midst of our fears. And so as we consider this text, I want to look at two points, the fear that overtakes and the hope that perseveres. And so with that, let's look at our text today, Acts chapter 18, 1 through 17. Let's stand together in the honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, and a, na- a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his lo- wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, He shook out his garments and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to a house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was preconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Amen. This is God's words. You may be seated. So just a little background. Corinth. It's our first time seeing the city of Corinth. It was a, the provincial capital of Greece at this time in uh, Roman history. It was a major port city. It actually had two major ports there. Uh, there was some evidence that Corinth had a bit of a reputation for being one of the more perverse cities in the area. I think that's just a one word, to put it mildly. This would have been something to do with the fact, probably, that after Rome sacked it in 144 B.C., over the next hundred years or so, it was repopulated with freed slaves, basically the people that Rome had overtaken over the years. They just set them loose in Corinth. And so you can kind of imagine, this city would have been a lot like Athens, which we looked at over the last few weeks. Lots of religions, lots of practices being represented, lots of different beliefs and faiths and who knows what, all coming together. One of those, of course, was the Jewish faith, which had been there since the time of Alexander, more than likely. So it had been there a while. And as you read through Paul's letters to the Corinthian church and both of his letters, you definitely get the feel of that kind of worldliness that had even beset the believers there. They dealt with many perversions of the natural order even, definitely of the Christian faith. It would be nice to say that they have outgrown, or it would be nice to say that we've, I've outgrown that as a species in the last 2,000 years later, those types of perversions, but no, that's not been the case. This is why this book continues to be particularly helpful and will always be. It will always directly speak to the human condition in which we live and our need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. That brings us to our first point, the fear that overtakes, verses 1 through 3. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Found there a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. Because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers. So Paul comes to this town. He immediately, as he does, he finds a few Jewish folks. and But these Jewish folks that he finds aren't the normal Jewish folks that he would typically find. Aquila is a native of Pontus. Pontus is on the Black Sea, which is the northern border of Turkey. So quite a ways away from where they're currently at. And he likely met his wife in Rome, which is, again, a long way from where they currently are. And they weren't there long together because Claudius kicked all the Jews out of the city of Rome history suggests that they were probably kicked out for proselytizing the Jewish religion and so here we are Priscilla and Aquila both come from opposite corners of the Mediterranean they're together in Corinth to meet Paul all Jewish people working together just so happens that they all are tent makers by trade pretty incredible the way the Lord works it was common for travelers to carry a tent with them to keep out of the elements. If you were going anywhere, it wasn't just a 10-minute you know, trip like it is today. It was a journey. So you carried things with you for that trip. Paul was a tent maker. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. They probably made these tents out of animal hides or linen or something nicer or not so nice, depending on the type of tent, I guess. This was probably a skill that Paul learned from his father, Um, So something that he grew up, knew how to do. He regularly talks about earning a wage aside from his ministry, and this is probably what he did during those times. These two, Priscilla and Aquila, are a power couple in the church, if there's such a thing. Priscilla likely had very strong gifts in teaching, was a very strong woman in the early church. We're going to spend some time looking at them more next week, but for now... That's going to be good. Silas and Timothy rejoined Paul here in Corinth. Remember, they were with him in Berea when some things went down and they got separated. So here they are back with him in Corinth. They begin preaching the message of the gospel in the city, which is, of course, what they always did. And they went to the Jews, which is because Paul just couldn't help himself. He was a glutton for punishment, I guess. He loved his people very much. He always would continue to do so. But did they love him? We'll look at verse 6 when they opposed and reviled him so no they didn't love him or his message that christ the christ was indeed this jesus that they were worshiping they did not like him so paul gets angry with them he shook out his garments and said your blood be on your own heads i am innocent from now on i will go to the gentiles He says he's going to go to the Gentiles from now on, even though his next stop in Ephesus, he goes straight to the synagogue. He was probably just angry. What does this say, though? You've heard the truth, Jews. I can't do anything else. I can't say anything else. You know, you know, you should know better at this point. But they don't. So what does Paul do? He goes right next door, finds a a, a God worshiper who converts to the faith and he later sees to it that the ruler of the synagogue Crispus converts to the faith converts to Christianity so he's kind of doing an undercover uh, operation there in the synagogue and he was there for 18 months doing ministry while his own people hated him we tend to like not really think of these situations the way they would be consider this going on Paul's in a foreign land. He wasn't like, just because we read about it and it seems that he's probably comfortable, he probably wasn't. He was a Jewish man in a foreign country, a place that was overtaken by Rome, and a person of a people that had been overtaken by Rome. And Jews weren't particularly popular among the Romans. Uh, Anyone that wasn't Roman really wasn't. Even though Paul was a Roman citizen, he was still Jewish. There were lots of other cultures around The only culture that you really understand and that really understands you hates you. Imagine how you would feel being in this place where people are speaking all these different languages. The only one that you get doesn't want anything to do with you. I think we can relate a little bit as Christians to this, to this, right? We live in a very small world. What do I mean by that? Culture is really right at our fingertips. We just need to search for it, no matter what we are told, to respect every culture and belief, whether it's right or wrong. And we have a very quick and easy definition of right and wrong, do we not, in the Word of God. But we are told nothing is wrong, everything is right. Except, of course, if you're a Christian, then that's not good. Because Christians should be hated because they're bigots. And they hate people. So it's okay to make fun of Christianity, but nothing else. Sadly, many in our own country are leaning this way as well. In other parts of the world, not all parts of the world, but many, they just throw Christians in prison or they kill them. That's how they deal with them. Here, at least we're not, that's not happening. The persecution that we face is mostly being pushed out of the circle of thought or ideas that Any sort of meaningful dialogue with a Christian is just not acceptable. You wouldn't talk to a Christian, but you would talk to anyone else. That's still a big deal, right? We want to fit in. We want to be considered intelligent, well-spoken. We want to be known as people who love everyone, regardless of what they believe, which hopefully is the case with us. But that's often not what's allowed from the outside. So how, then do we mesh with others and the love of other people with the truth of Scripture? Which one says we have to believe in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. That's exactly what Scripture says. It doesn't really allow for anything else. This belief was unpopular in Paul's day. It's extremely unpopular today. And it's not just that belief. But we also say, right, that people who believe in jesus christ will also demonstrate that they believe in jesus christ by having a changed life a life that turns away from their sin and what is sin the bible gets to define what sin is and a christian a believer turns away from that sin is repentant is actively doing so is not accepting it but denying it wants to get away from it and this is where the rub is is it not People want to come to God on their own terms rather than His. And when we present His terms, which are found right here, they hate us because they say we hate them. So what do we do? Well, I think first we have to see our own tendencies here because when we realize this, when we realize this is the interaction that we're going to have with the culture, we're going to be afraid. And so we need to realize, why are we afraid? We're afraid because we never want to be seen as people who don't love others, who don't want to help other people. That's good. In general, people want to help others, right? Even if it's for selfish reasons, we want to do that. We don't want to be seen as not wanting to do that. But how does our world frame it? If you disagree with me, you hate me. You're a bigot, or some other weird word that they throw out, that those words don't even have any meaning anymore. They call us bigots because we deal in absolutes. But they demand that we adhere to their absolute, which is agree with me or else. How do we deal with that? Since we don't want to be caught up in that, what do we do? We remain silent and afraid. We want to run and wake our master up and say, there's an army. That has surrounded us. They have chariots and horses. We're doomed. It will be easier just to stay in our houses. In our little churches. Or to do what a lot have done. And just throw the Bible out. Say so, yeah we don't really deal do in those absolutes either. We just want you to feel good. There's an oppressive fear. There. And it's tough. I know. It's, it's hard. No matter how you live. As a kid, a teen, stay-at-home mom, teacher, doctor, no matter what you're doing, you feel that tension. You should, if you're a believer. Paul was in the midst of it there. If he preached the truth, he came off as a Jew-hater, even though he was a Jew. If he didn't preach, then he broke the mandate of his Lord Jesus. What was he to do? That's a hard question. and That brings us to the next point, the hope that perseveres. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Now this should sound familiar to us. First, one of the most popular verses, often quoted verses in all of Scripture out of Joshua 1, where the Lord tells Joshua as they're getting ready to storm into Canaan against the pagan cities there and conquest that for the Lord. What does the Lord tell Joshua over and over again? Do not be afraid. Immediately when I read this, this this past week, I thought of that passage in 2 Kings that we read this morning. There are many who are mine in this city. Do not be afraid. Many who are my people. What does the Lord mean when he says this? There weren't very many believers there in Corinth. There were Jews there but those Jews weren't truly the people of God since they didn't believe in the son of God and they hated Paul that he this message that he had obviously i think this points to the fact that God has his forces there obviously protecting Paul just like we saw in second kings where there's these chariots of fire that are all around the place God has at his disposal legions of things that we can't see or can't hear And he's able to protect us however he pleases. But I think this also alludes to something that Jesus said while he was on this earth. Turn with me to John chapter 10. In John 10, Jesus compares himself to the shepherd and his followers to sheep. And he goes on. In verse 14, look with me. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my, my life down, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I'll lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. And I want to read this next little bit, because I want you to see, even here when Jesus says this, the Jews just aren't too keen on it. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said these are not the words of one who can be oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Even back when Jesus was preaching, they were divided, were they not? I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. My sheep know my voice. They hear me and they will follow me. Jesus was talking about those for whom he had died, but had not yet heard the gospel and believed. Consider the book that we've just been through as we've been going through Acts. He was talking about those who would believe at Pentecost when Peter preached and thousands were saved. He was talking about the church in Antioch that wasn't yet formed, but would be a major player. In the early time of the church, he was talking about the churches in Galatia that Paul sprung up overnight, about Priscilla and Aquila who were at opposite ends of the known world at the time. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue there. He was talking about the Corinthian church that he later write to, but had not yet heard about this man, Jesus. He was talking about you and me and many that will come to faith because of the faithful ministry of this church doesn't dispel, if that doesn't dispel your fear, and if that doesn't dispel your silence, I don't know what will. And notice what happens when they attempt to attack Paul using the Roman authorities. That should bring back familiar uh, things that we've read about, right? This is exactly what they did to Jesus, tried to use the Roman authorities against them. Look what happens, verse 12, starting at verse 12. But when Gallio was preconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man has persuaded people to worship God contrary to the law, which is exactly what the Jews were doing. But anyway, when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to judge it. So the judge refused to hear it. Even more than that, they drove, he drove them from the room. He said, get out here, this is nuts. And the crowd who had gathered, of course the crowd is never satiated by just simple people walking away. They always have to have a victim. And so what does the crowd do? They take this man, Sosthenes the ruler of the synagogue and beat him in front of the tribunal. Sosthenes probably replaced Crispus when Crispus converted to the faith. And so Sosthenes was the new ruler of the synagogue. And because the Lord does as he pleases and he does things that we could never ask or imagine or believe if you told us, Sosthenes, who was beat in front of the tribunal, was later converted himself as todd read from first corinthians 1 this morning paul writes in, to the to the corinthian church paul an apostle and sosthenes our brother and then what does he say in verse 9 of that chapter god is faithful by whom you the corinthian church that is just beginning right here in these pages By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is an incredible testimony of the faithfulness of God. Always keeping his own. Always calling his own. Using his faithful people to do his work. To save his people. To bring his sheep into his fold. This is the hope that we have, brothers and sisters. And it should dispel every fear that, that we have when it comes to the world that we live in. There's going to always be hostility between the follower of Christ and the world. If there's not, we should question ourselves. Well, whose team are we on? We must make sure that this hostility, however, isn't because of the way that we treat people. If that's, that's the case, then we probably deserve it. We should always be acting in love and service, serving the poor, the needy, needy, Counseling the brokenhearted, befriending and loving our neighbors absolutely 100%. No matter what they believe, this is how we should treat them. We should love them, care for them. If we hate them, we deserve any persecution that we get. But sometimes they'll hate us even when we love them. But that shouldn't change our message. Why? Because Jesus says, I have many in this city who are my people what did he say to his people even while they were my enemies i died for them so what will we do when it comes to his people in this city who have not yet heard the gospel let's be ones who faithfully preach the gospel to all people in conclusion like paul we have reasons to be afraid but those fears should not drive us to silence at all because we have one on our side who sees the entire battlefield and the battle is won because of Jesus and we share in that victory. So let us be faithful preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ even though fear may come. But let us carry on in the truth of God's word. He's faithful to bring his people to himself. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we admit that we are afraid of trivial things. And all things are trivial compared to your glory, compared to your truth, compared to others hearing your truth and calling upon your name and being saved. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to dispel the fears of our hearts. Lord, we want nothing more than to be loved and accepted. But sometimes that's not going to happen. And so, Lord, help us to love others anyway. Help us to be accepting anyway. So that they may see, so that they may know that you are Lord. That they would call upon your name and be saved. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.